comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. It's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Good luck, my baby, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. I'd remove you, chips, chips. Dati do di do, chi boom, chi boom, Dati do di do, chi boom, chi boom, Dati do di do. Via, via, vieni via con me. Entra in questo amore buio, non perderti per niente al mondo. Via, via, non perderti per niente al mondo. Lo spettacolo d'arte varia di uno innamorato di te. Yeah. It's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Good luck, my baby, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe. Hey, guys. What's up? All right. Out Now is a film podcast which has Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring in a little discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a retro review that has to do with the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. The main features of the week, that's right, we're doing a double header once again, is going to be... A very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas, as well as the new Brett Ratner joint, Tower Heist. And joining us tonight to discuss Harold and Kumar Part 3 and how and Tower Heist is, um, let's see, writer for unemployedmat.blogspot.com, Matt Dunbar. Hello. And, Glad to be here. Yeah, and uh, writer for the Huffington Post and his own blog, Mendelssohn's Memos, uh, Scott Mendelssohn. How you doing? Always a pleasure. Awesome. All right, guys. Yeah. Glad to have you both back. Uh, let's see. Last time I had Matt. Last time Matt was on here, it was for Moneyball, and last time Scott was on here was for Harry Potter Part Well Eight or Part Two, <laughs> Part Two Eight, whatever. Um, and clearly, this the Harold and Kumar. This is just so epic that we needed you both of you guys to come back for the. <laughs> show. <laughs> so, um, yep, here we go, and this is a. Uh, few things, I guess, before we get started. This is episode 34, just like to always make note of what episode it is. And um, also, uh, iTunes reviews. It's fun to be on iTunes, and it's also fun to hear some feedback every now and then. So please feel free to, you know, send a rating our way on iTunes, or maybe even a, a small, like, one-sentence review. All, any, any of that's much appreciated. So is, you know, listenership in general. But yeah, that's, that's how that is. Anyway, let's get two things. Let's get things rolling. And um, we're going to do a little Know Everybody, where we ask each other a few questions just to kind of set the mood of the podcast. And um, I'm going to let Abe start this one off this week. Okay, sure. Scott, yes. what was a present that you really wanted from your childhood? <laughs> um, a Nintendo. Like the original 8-bit Nintendo? NES. Uh, yes. yes. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. Did you get it? I did. Very cool. Good pair. Nice. I want a waffle bot. That's what I want. 
this? Uh, one Oscar bait movie that you honestly don't want to see. One Oscar bait movie that I don't want to see of this year, I assume. Yeah, obviously. Yes. Um, let's see. I, I was gonna. I, okay, I was gonna say um, uh, my week with Marilyn, but now I think I'm gonna say Alvin and the Chipmunks shipwrecked. I think. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's a legitimate question. I, w- I would. I would probably say my week with Marilyn. Fair enough. So something about that one. I don't know. Or no, no, wait, no, no, no. I got. Oh no, I know the answer. Extremely loud and incredibly close. That's the message. yes. Uh, the Tom Hanks, Sandra Bullock, 9/11 drama, Little Boy. Uh, but it's about 9/11. It's important. It's I, yeah. something about who uh, I can't finish that. Yeah. That. <laughs> why does he have a key, Aaron? I don't. Know. Maybe <laughs> when I see Martin Scorsese's Hugo, I'll find out why he has the key. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think it's my turn now. I'm going to Matt. Matt, what is your favorite stoner comedy duo? So, Harold and Kumar, Cheech and Chong, Jane Silent Bob, etc. Okay, so my favorite stoner... Alright, the stoner duo would be Harold and Kumar from the original, the first movie, Going to White Castle. That would probably be it. Narrowly edging... You know, Dave Chappelle and anybody from the Half-Baked Cast. (laughs) (laughs) Narrowly edging. Good to know. Narrowly edging, yeah. Um, Let's see. So my question is for Abe. Uh, Who would you prefer as your overbearing father-in-law, Danny Trejo or Robert De Niro? Now, is it Danny Trejo specifically in Harold and Kumar or just Danny Trejo in general? General. Just Danny Trejo in general. Okay. That's a, that's an important thing to know, I think. As well as De Niro in general. Okay. Not from <laughs> not not from from little little fuckers go to heaven, whatever that would no, be. No, not from Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd have to go with uh, Robert De Niro, and uh, it's probably because Danny Trejo really really scares me. So she's showing up shirtless in the middle of the night with his awesome like tattoo on his chest i'd be like whoa i i wow this is scary your daughter is very hot but you're a very scary man <laughs> i hope danny trejo doesn't have real daughters in real life just because i'd feel terrible for the boyfriend no <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i if i may i i probably have to go with preferred trejo because i've seen the fan that's the girl in a scary that actually is the only De Niro performance that I actually disturbed me because it was so plausible. I mean, it was you know a somewhat I don't want to say normal character, but somebody that was less uh, theatrical than some of his more classic crazy people. That's right. And now, yeah. now we make references to Tony Scott's The Fan, Wesley Pipes, Benicio, Future Con, or whatever. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, is it Abe's turn? Um, yeah, Matt. What is one of your all-time favorite holiday movies? Ooh, um, planes, trains, and automobiles. That's probably oh, okay. my, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I that that movie expresses uh, my view of the holidays pretty accurately. So I, I like I like that movie. Cool. Um, so I ask Aaron, okay. what's your uh, favorite needlessly three D movie? My favorite needlessly three D movie? Yes. Opposed to the the, the movies that call for three D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a movie that's just gratuitously 3D. Uh, I, I, you know, honestly, my mind went straight to my Bloody Valentine 3D. Mm. That was a fun movie. <laughs> it's a, it, I saw, yeah. I saw that movie in 3D, and it's absolutely like it does everything that kind of movie would do perfectly for being 
expressly in 3D, and it does it well for being like over the top, off the wall. Like it's it's a terrible movie, but it was fun to watch with friends in a theater. Enjoying yeah. the th- and this is you know this is pre this is pre Avatar 3D and it looked really good. There's a scene where like a uh, like a car crashes and like there's like a log like sticks through like the windshield or something and like comes like way into the audience. <laughs> it was like wow that was actually really well done. That was I was I was quite impressed with the 3D in my Bloody Valentine 3D. And there's you know the full frontal naked woman walk running around being yeah, that like yeah that's that's cool too. <laughs> She's not a hooker. <laughs> I would argue that my Bloody Valentine actually. By virtue of its, you know, the various things you described, you know, should be seen in 3D and makes good use of 3D. Yeah. Ironically, you know, the, I, I I don't want to step on everybody else's question, but first thing that came to my mind was uh, Toy Story 3. Loved it, but it didn't need to be in 3D. Mm. I, I agree with that. I saw I saw that movie in 3D, and it was like yeah. nothing really. I mean, no, it didn't make me more terrified of toys being of Mr. T- yeah. Mr. Potato uh, Head potentially being destroyed in a furnace. But. I mean, the the glasses were useful, so no one could see me crying. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, up also, that was a good use of that 3D. Uh, no one could see me weeping in the opening ten minutes and the beginning of the third act. Yeah. Um, uh. Ironically, my bloody Valentine that made me that. Get, Based on that movie, I had high hopes for Drive Angry 3D, and that didn't work out at all. Like I ended up, I, I ended up enjoying my Bloody Valentine 3D way more than Drive Angry, mainly because there wasn't enough angry driving. Like that was my problem with that movie. <laughs> William Fincher is worth seeing. Other than that, oh yeah, William Fincher is great. Yeah. Friend, of friend, friend of the show, William Fincher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I remember, you know, I, I was shocked that he not shocked, I guess he gave a real performance. It wasn't just shtick. Yeah. Um, I wish the movie had done well because he deserved more credit for it. Yeah, I completely. Agree. All right. Um, that's my question. My question for Scott. Okay, Scott, I have a question for you. It is, which actor do you think is due for a comeback? Oh boy, that's a good one. I based, um... and I, obviously, I based that on the fact that Eddie Murphy's kind of somewhat. Had, the idea is that he's back, kind of returning to a classic sort of role for him this week. Yeah, yeah. Um. I don't know the extent of comebacks. I don't know how big he ever really was. But I would love to see Michael Wincott back in major movies again. I've been saying this for a while. Back in the he had a brief run in the '90s. It's just a great screen villain. Uh, you know, sort of the mid '90s and yeah. then sort of up till 2002 with uh, Along Came a Spider. And he was this. He was very low key. And his stick was sort of. He was a guy that's you know he basically played a villain as I've been smoking since childhood and I never clear my throat. Therefore, I sound scary. Michael Wincott. If I movies. if I stopped smoking and if I cleared my throat with a cough drop, I would no longer be frightening. <laughs> Michael Wincott for movies like The Crow. Uh, yes, exactly. three, The Three Musketeers movie with uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Spider. Yeah. Uh, he makes like maybe one movie a year, and I just I, I think what happened is he got too old to be the villain, and he's not quite old enough to be a crusty character actor yet. He's still waiting for the Bruce McGill reinvention. I used to get him confused with the guy from that's the star of Burn Notice now, uh, Jeffrey Donovan. They, they, they have a very similar look. I, I, I can see them playing brothers. Yes. Okay, my turn. Um, Matt, one movie that everybody hates with arguably good reason that you enjoy. You know what? A lot of people hate Van Wilder, and I actually really, really like Van Wilder. Um, I don't know if everybody hates Van Wilder, though. I, I thought uh, I was in the minority of, of disliking Van Van Wilder. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, I I don't loathe it. I, I I think it's a good, relatively okay movie. Yeah. Oh. Let's see if I can get a, a better answer. That's the movie that kind of put me on the bad path of Ryan Reynolds because 
I, that's because no. I like him more yeah. now when he's done more yeah. somewhat dramatic work. But right. that but that his kind of snarky thing is the thing reason that I don't really like Ryan Reynolds that much. See, see I first saw him, well, I mean, I'd seen Blade Three, but I first saw him, noticed him in the Animal Horror, which I where I felt he made a fantastic dramatic performance. So I I knew him as a pretty good com- dramatic actor who occasionally did comedies. Yeah, Blade Trinity didn't help with me at all. <laughs> nobody, nobody was good in that. I mean, except, except, except Patton Oswalt as the weapon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know he was in that. I'll have to go back and notice. John, John uh, Michael Higgins is also in that movie. There's a random cast in Blade Trinity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Blade Trinity is one of those movies like the Nightmare on Elm Street remake where nobody gets out with their dignity intact. <laughs> nobody really deserves blame. You know, it doesn't deserve the black mark on their resume. Do you think of anything else, Matt? Uh, no. <laughs> I just, I'm reflecting, and like my tastes are probably sadly, depressingly uh, in line with most people. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of like some cracking movie that comes on on TBS. Oh, like Phenomenon. It's not that good a movie, but I'll watch that. But I don't think that's universally reviled. So. <laughs> that was one of those random, like, "Hey, John Travolta's pretty good in this movie that doesn't involve him with terror." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I liked it right up to the end. I hate that the entire third act explicitly explains what's happening to him. Yeah. <laughs> that's just my personal pet beef. But as that song changed the world, it's... Uh... <laughs> all right. Let's... Uh, I think... Is that everybody? All Are right. we all done one? <laughs> Are we all done two? Yeah. So. I think we, so. Have we talked about Phenomenon and the Fan enough? Okay. <laughs> uh, let's, let's move on to uh, movie trailer talk, where we discuss a couple of the newest trailers that have come out over the past few weeks. And... Um, Let's start with the one that made most of us laugh pretty hard, the 21 Jump Street trailer. Uh, 21 Jump Street is the remake of the 80s TV series where Johnny Depp, among others, got kind of his big start. And it's now been retrofitted as a new comedy starring a very skinny Jonah Hill and a surprisingly funny Channing Tatum from the looks of things. It's directed by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who uh, previously actually made uh, Claudia Pachanza Meatballs, which is one of my favorite animated films from the last couple of years with the exception of some obvious Pixar choices. Based on the both the, the regular trailer and the Red Band trailer that got released this week, it looks really funny. I was surprised at how much I was laughing at this movie, especially at Channing Tatum, of all people, being really funny. But uh, what did you guys think? Abe, what did you think of the trailer? I thought it was actually really funny. Um, uh, like I was telling you earlier, it was juxtaposed between The Sitter. Uh, the Sitter was the trailer before this, and then Twilight Jumpster came on, and it was just really weird to see Jonah Hill, like, Old Jonah Hill and then new Jonah Hill. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone really caught on to that. But anyway, the trailer was... Uh, I, I wasn't sure what kind of vibe they were going for. And then you kind of get the sense that it's... Yeah, it's, it's like a goofy comedy and maybe some cool action scenes. And um, there's, there's probably going to be a lot of references to the 90s because apparently these guys have all grown up and they have to go infiltrate some, some drug ring in a high school. So uh, I'm a big fan also of Dave Franco, who was on Scrubs. Uh, <laughs> He was with the ABC version of Scrubs, and uh, he was in uh, Fright Night. So, yeah, I liked it. Uh, Matt? Yeah, I'm. I'm. The, I know Abe has his uh, own personal reservations about Jonah Hill, uh, but I'm. I'm a big Jonah Hill fan, so it looked funny. And yeah, Channing Tatum actually looked like he would be pretty funny in this role. So I, I'm excited to see it. Scott? Uh, I laughed more than I was expecting to. It, it certainly, on the surface, seemed to be a project that you know didn't need to exist. Yeah, you know, must we reboot every '80s everything? <laughs> um, and I think, to a certain extent, 
while making it 21 Jump Street and tying it into that universe gets it lots of free press. I think subconsciously I would have been kinder to it if I wasn't thinking, why are they doing 21 Jump Street? <laughs> uh, you know, the movie you know, arguably has nothing to do with the TV show. Right. Allegedly, Johnny Depp will be making a cameo. Yippee skippy. I want to see Stephen Williams make a cameo. Or how about Richard Rico? People that actually need the work. Yeah. Um, it looks like it's definitely going for like the kind of the Starsky and Hutch route, where it takes yeah, something, the Brady Bunch. yeah, something much that was kind of serious. I mean, like like Starsky and Hutch, the original Twenty One Jump Street. They're kind of they're more serious in nature, opposed to this kind of comedic take on the on the on its you know theatrical reimagining. Um, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I did not watch the Green Band trailer, I just watched the red one, and, you know, it's funny, I mean, it took a little, you know, it's a long, you know, it's like a four-minute yeah. trailer, it's like, so it's, obviously it's going to drag a bit, yeah. but, you know, uh, Janet Tatum was funny, uh, Jonah Hill is, he's fine, I have nothing against him one way or another, it is a little weird seeing him, you know, as skinny as he is, arguably he, I, without going into, uh, What's his name? Seth Rogen lost the weight better. Let's put it that I way. I can agree. I agree with that. Uh, yeah. I don't want to be mean and pick on people's looks. I try not to do that. One thing I did find interesting about the, the trailer is that they didn't sell any particularly gratuitous TNA. You know, you didn't see any random high school hottie that's going to hit on Jonah Hill or Channing Tatum. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that I've, I've talked about here and there. You know, I'd, I'd almost rather see a movie that has no significant female characters than a movie with a gratuitous love interest that just drags the movie down for no particular reason other than, oh, there's got to be a girl. Obviously, we're talking about a four-minute trailer that wasn't particularly selling itself to women. I don't know what the movie's actually going to be. Uh, I, I do like Dave Franco. Uh, I, I did like him in, as I like to call it, Scrubs the Goliath Chronicles. Um, <laughs> uh, in my mind, Scrubs ended at season eight. Uh, that was just some weird little, you know, it wasn't bad. I think it got better once Zach Braff left just because yeah, really, yeah. it sort of progressed into season one goofiness. It's like, right. didn't he like grow up? That was a whole point of the series ending that he, anyway, I don't, this isn't about Scrubs. Yeah. Um, I could talk about Scrubs all show. But anyway, uh, I, I do like the people in it. I like Ice Cube, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ice Cube's in here. <laughs> um, you know, does, does it need to exist? No, but I, I... I think the best case scenario is that it, it, it exists by itself as a standalone funny comedy, and we just sort of have to bite, you know, grin and bear the fact that it's they slap the Twenty One Jump Street label on it just to get free advertising. Yeah, and uh, speaking of things yeah. that don't exist, don't necessarily need to exist, let's move on to our next trailer, which is American Pie Reunion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the um, Ooh, segue, segue. Uh, you know, I, that's how you host. And um, yeah, this is the the fourth the. The I put quotes fourth film in the American Pie franchise after a, a hiatus descending into direct to DVD raunchy spinoff territory. We're back with the original gang uh, for a, a fourth American Pie movie where I guess they have a high school reunion and we meet all our familiar faces, including the Shermanator and, uh, you know, Shannon Elizabeth back from doing nothing. And, um, you know, most of these people are back from doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, there's really, uh, yeah, there's not. Only very few winners came from this. Chris Klein. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's the it's it's a, it's a return, all right. So let's get let's dive into it. Hey, what do you think of the uh, American Reunion trailer? It's exactly what you had said. I'm not really too sure why they made this, and uh, we basically covered all the bases, which is yeah, not not that many people have uh, come out of here with uh, you know great great 
uh, acting career. Let's think who who's who's the most who's the biggest person in the, would it be? Alice Hannigan, right? That'd be, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, that's that's true. Hannigan, that's your mother. Uh, uh, I would have said Jason Biggs, but he hasn't really done anything in the long time. Yeah, even uh, his he works kind of. He fun. works pretty consistently. He just he's not a star. Yeah, yeah, I, but, yeah. Um, I think I think before the rehab stuff, uh, Sean William Scott. Oh, Sean William Scott. Yeah, that, I think that's yeah. that's an arguable one. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he had role models. Yeah, which I really liked. Um, but overall, and the trailer. Bulletproof monk. But yeah, <laughs> with the Chow Yun Fat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he learns his kung fu through watching movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, the trailer, I don't know. It's it's kind of just seems like a good way to to get some extra revenue for some of these actors, I guess. But um, this is probably going to be really gross and raunchy, and I'm not a big fan of Stifler's mom hooking up with Jim's dad, but we'll see. I mean, I I hope we don't review it, Aaron. That, that, made me, that, that, <laughs> that actually made me chuckle, seeing Jim's mom and Stifler's dad. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, Alice Hannigan, I, I... Well, she did do, you know, date movie back when she was still doing I Met Your Mother, so it's not like... She's immune to just saying yes for the hell of it. Um, but, you know, she's certainly doing fine. Uh, ironically, you're talking about you know, the people that came out of this the best. I would argue, just scanning over the cast list in IMDb, John Cho. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, yeah, if, if recall, you know, we'll get into it in a minute, but, you know, Harold and Kumar was advertised as, you know, the Asian guy from American Pie. And he's, you know, I think Al Penn has arguably done a little bit better. But John Cho, again, it, it's... Are they, are, is you know is he a big star? No, but he works consistently at projects that usually aren't particularly demeaning, and that that says something in this industry. Yeah, and um, the, the, that's more you can say for Shannon Elizabeth or Chris <laughs> Klein. Although like I, Shannon Elizabeth was in some straight to DVD horror movie about a an ice a snowman. That yeah. that was oh Jack Frost. That was before American Pie. Oh, that that yes, was yes, oh, okay. Jack Jack Frost. The not not to be confused with the Michael Keaton classic, um, <laughs> Jack Frost. That's a that's a whole other that's a commentary waiting to happen. Abe. That's, that's one of my wife's favorite movies. That's one of your what what? I, one of my wife's favorite movies. See the horror movie Jack Frost. Yes, okay. and Jack Frost too, which I will say comparatively is better than Jack Frost one. Is does uh, does Jack Frost or whatever? Does Jack Frost two have a subtitle? Uh, I don't know, and I don't feel like looking it up. I um, it. Mutant Killer Snowman. <laughs> Jack Frost. The thawing, I don't know. Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman is the. Yeah. 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 Um, I have seen both of them. They, uh, yeah, they are what they are. Um, <laughs> I'm loving our tangents today, by the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. So, getting back on track, American Reunion, which sees the return of every. Well, seemingly every single cast member from the previous American Pie films, minus the mm-hmm. you know the ones we don't speak of, um, that that opens in uh, April sixth, two thousand twelve. Twenty One Jump Street opens a month earlier, March sixteenth, two thousand twelve. And I know we're, at least it looks like some of us are looking forward to at least one of those movies. Um, let's. Well, I guess that takes us away now to our movie reviews. And first up, we're going to talk a little bit about a very Harold and Kumar three D Christmas. I shot Santa Claus in the face. He's real, and I shot him in the face. What? Do you want to see my room? Ah, Mary. He's single, though. Uh, come on. Sorry, I don't date black guys. What? What are you doing? What? My daughter's in there! What? 
Neil Patrick Harris. Welcome to heaven. I'm Jesus. Jesus. Christ. They practically run this place. Oh, for reals? I mean, my dad owns it, but I'm kind of number <laughs> one. You're one of those. All right, so that was a little bit of the trailer for A Very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. And this is the uh, third film that sees the return of uh, former White House correspondent and star of Superman Returns, Cal Penn, as well as <laughs> actor responsible for Tony the term MILF and eventual star of whatever the Star Trek sequel will be called, John Cho, in the third installment of the Harold and Kumar franchise. Uh, this, is, this film takes place about six years after the events of the previous films, which were, you know, kind of back-to-back -back with each other. And um, let's see, Harold is now married with a big fancy house and a big fancy job and his lovely wife uh, returning from, well, the first two films. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Cal Penn as Kumar is now living in the same old apartment, doing nothing, it seems. And the two have kind of seen a separate, separating of ways, I guess. And uh, fortunately, due to this, the miracle of Christmas time, the two are brought back together at seemingly at random and uh of course kumar causes some trouble right away burning down the uh the the the, the perfect christmas tree that harold's father-in-law danny treo has brought over to the house and leading this leads to a night of adventures as harold and kumar are set at task to find another perfect christmas tree to put back in harold's home and hopefully have the perfect christmas with his entire family-in-law of course, various raunchy hijinks ensue, and lots of lots of other Yuletide stuff. So, anyway, let's get to this now. Matt, let's start with you. What did you think of Harold, very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas? Um, this was depressing. I I loved Harold and Kumar uh, go to White Castle. It was it's possibly the best stoner movie ever made. It's not even a stoner movie in the same way that Moneyball's movie about baseball. I feel like Harold and Kumar is a movie, or Harold and Kumar go to White Castle's movie about stoners, but it's not a stoner movie. It's probably a little funnier if you get high. Way to tie it I, into your previous appearance on this show. Thank you. <laughs> I'm all about the callback. I'm just completely self-referential. Um, but yeah, this one, I don't know, the second one was okay, and then this one um, was was pretty bad I, I there were a couple funny scenes the cameos were good uh neil patrick harris was funny danny trejo was hilarious um but all in all uh it was kind of like oh you know this is a viable franchise now and we're just gonna put this uh schlock out there for uh, to make some money i was i was pretty disappointed with it and i had you know decent expectations going into it let's go to abe uh, yeah, I also had decent expectations. I, I felt as though it didn't uh, really hit on all cylinders like the previous one. It's kind of probably been steadily going downhill from, since the first one. Um, I talked about this earlier, too, which is, like, uh, in early, early podcasts, they're, these are kind of somewhat of smarter comedies these days, which is, you know, they're they're written well and they're directed well, and um, they have, like, the raunchy storyline, but, you know, the, the laughs aren't just simple laughs. It's kind of just like, yeah, they've got some cool stuff going on. But anyway... Um, I didn't laugh all the way through, which is kind of a bummer, because uh, in uh, the Guantanamo Bay one, I, I just, even though it was a dumb joke, I just laughed, and uh, this one, not too many chuckles here and there. Um, I thought as though there was a lot of storylines, uh, and a lot of characters, and they had to get back to some of them, um, just as, like, uh, Amir, I'm going to call him Amir, from Jake and Amir, uh, and also uh, Sergeant, or Lieutenant, what's his face? Dangle. From, uh, Dangle. Yeah, Tom Lennon. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And uh, there was just not that many laugh out loud moments, and I was kind of uh, disappointed in that. So um, it wasn't a movie that I I felt, oh wow, they're making a, another one. Uh, why? It was actually one of those ones that I was actually looking forward to, and kind of uh, bummed out that it didn't turn out uh, as as funny as I thought that it would be, or that it could be. Uh, Scott, uh, I did not like it either. Um, I happen to think that her- the first Harold Camargo to White Castle is probably my favorite comedy of the just finished decade. Uh, I happen to think, right or wrong, it's probably one of the best recent, if not ever, movies about race relations and ethnicity, you know, and you know, being an American in what we now consider to be a melting pot. I thought it was very funny. I thought it was very smart. Uh, Matt is right. It's not really a stoner movie. Uh, you know, the fact that the characters smoke a lot of marijuana is almost beside the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, which yeah. I had issues with this one, but I'll get to that in a minute. The second one, I the second movie, I really, really, really didn't like. I didn't think it was funny. I thought it was dumbed down and contrived in ways that I felt the first one was not, especially in terms of its romantic subplot. Yeah, dealt with you know, <laughs> ooh, this girl that I dated for three months in college is obviously the one. Um, I had issues with it, and this might have just been me. I took offense, for lack of a better word, because it sold itself as being something that was very politically daring. Charged. But yeah. really, it, it it played to the party line. You know, It basically sold, to a certain extent, the three big lies of post-9-11 America, which is, you know, there were no innocent people in Guantanamo, basically, except for Eldon Kumar. Uh, all the post-9-11 abuses were just a few bad apples. And oh yeah, George W. Bush is just a nice guy when you get to know him. And he's really one of us, and in the end, he saves the day. Um, you know, if the people that made it are conservatives, fine, whatever. Um, but it sold itself as this politically, you know, in, in, insightful, but that's the wrong word, uh, inciting. Uh, it was something that was, you know, politically against the grain, but really it sold the conservative party line. So personally, as, as a liberal, I was offended by it. And other than that, I think it was very funny. This movie, I would argue, is a worse film because it is very lazy. It's very, it feels very cheap. If not for the 3D, I imagine it probably would have gone straight to DVD. But because I wasn't personally offended by it, it was sort of like, okay, this is, it's, it was mediocre, which to me was almost an improvement over the second film, which I found, you know, overtly unpleasant. Um, I feel the same way about the the Austin Powers franchise. I wasn't offended by the Austin Powers films, per se. Uh, The first one, I think, is a masterpiece. The second one, I went into expecting to love it. I generally did not like it, so it made me angry. The third one is probably a worse movie than the second, but because I knew going in, I probably wasn't going to like it. I felt it was it was you know more harmless. Uh, as far as getting back to this film, one of the problems I had with this film is that it felt that it, it treated the very act of smoking marijuana as funny, and sorry, that's not funny in 2011. And as some, you know, I've never smoked marijuana. I have minor lung issues. But as someone who thinks that marijuana should be legalized, I take a token amount of offense that sells the lie that, oh, you know, you smoke marijuana and you, you act recklessly and, and, you know, whatever. That's the kind of crap that, you know, that hurts the legalized marijuana movement. And coming from a movie that's supposed to be this fun, happy stoner comedy, you know, it's, it's almost contradictory. Um, I do like, I, I thought Danny Trejo was very funny. I thought he was very low-key, which I liked. You know, the movie understood that merely casting Danny Trejo as your father-in-law is funny and scary enough. Yet he didn't have to milk it, and he didn't. I liked that they brought Paula Garcia's back as as Maria. 
Uh, there is a problem I find with very male-centric franchises. They just treat the female love interest as a revolving door to never be mentioned again. And this is a series where she kept coming back. Uh, the, 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 the movie's respected its own continuity. Um, the one person I missed more than anyone else is Chris Maloney. Uh, yeah. Allegedly, they had a scheduling conflict, so instead of either making him, you know, waiting till he was available, or rewriting, you know, casting somebody completely different, they cast Elias Cody's. I'm sure I mispronounced Casey that. Casey Jones. Yes, yeah, Casey. I love him. He's one of my favorite character actors. Agreed. But he looks exactly like Chris Maloney, and it's obvious that he's like a character that was intended for Chris Maloney, and I felt bad for him. He deserves more than Maloney's sloppy seconds. Um. I feel I'm blanking. Who, who did Chris Maloney play in the other ones? He was the, first, the uh, he was the tow truck driver in the first one, and then he was the Ku Klux Klan member in the second one. He was the tow yeah. truck driver in the first one? Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yep. Okay. You can hear everything you say. Because he was all like, I, I had all that makeup going, okay, yeah, jeez. And, and to me, he is as important a part of the franchise as Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, who I thought was completely wasted this time around, personally. He comes on for one scene that's completely disconnected from the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And takes what could have been a sort of a funny, you know, side crack. Hey, Neil Patrick Harris has come out of the closet since the second film came out. And that's what the whole scene's about. It's, ha-ha, a gay man is having sex with a woman. Guess what? That's not funny. <laughs> um, or if it was funny, it'd be funny in 30 seconds, not five minutes. You know, he does that scene... And really barely interacts with Alan Kumar, <laughs> if only to explain why he's back in the first place, and then leaves the movie. And there's no reason for him to be there. Um, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's an 81-minute movie without credits, and that's just a waste of five minutes. And it's indicative of how lazy I felt the movie was, that they brought him back purely to bring him back. Not to give him anything particularly funny to do. I basically agree with you guys, I, although I think I... Saying I'm the most positive about this doesn't mean much, just because I still didn't like the movie overall. But I still, and I had a good number of laughs in it. There, um, yeah, I think you guys covered a lot of the bases. Um, I, I'll just point out some of the things I did kind of enjoy. I, I, I really liked Wafflebot. <laughs> every, every time Wafflebot, Me too. Every time Wafflebot was on screen, or they did something with that thing, it was just like that's kind of funny. I kind of, I do wish that the movie had something to say i guess like the yes. something i what i enjoy about the first movie which is a movie like I, i'm not as big of a fan as you guys are of the first movie but i did find it interesting that well the characters were actually interesting in that movie i think coming into it i was like all right this will just be kind of you know some silly fun about these two guys getting burgers but i was surprised that you know it actually had a way of subverting race in a lot of instances and uh similar in more so than crash and uh <laughs> You know, it, it, it had it had, more, it had it had a lot in its mind besides just being a raunchy comedy, which I was, you know, surprised by at the time. And then the second one, I pretty yeah, I pretty much hated that movie. Just same the same way Scott did, actually. I, I know you guys even Matt, you guys like the second movie more. But uh yeah, I wasn't a fan of that one. So this one I was surprised watching the trailer that I was like, All right, here comes another one and actually was mustering up encouragement that, you know, it looks like I was gonna be having a, a fun time at Christmas of all times for Harold and Kumar, but yeah, get into the movie. Yeah, it didn't. There, there were laughs here and there, but yeah, what I was saying earlier. Yeah, there wasn't much going on in this movie in terms of it's at Christmas time. You think that'd be good fodder for it to, you know, kind of handle some kind of any kind of issue. Really, there's so many things it could have tackled, like you know, more Hanukkah jokes versus Christmas or something like that. Since you have like the 
the uh, Rosenberg and Goldstein characters kind of enter in for, you know, a second as well. Um, you could have said something about, you know, Christmas time shopping, anything really that it, not that Harold and Kumar needs to tackle the issues, but you know, it just seems like there more could have been going on. And as Scott said, a lot of times it just felt lazy. It just felt more like this really probably could have gone straight to DVD or something and not, you know, didn't really need to be in theaters, which is almost what I thought it was going to be when I first heard it was announced. Like, oh, they're just coming back for like a TV special or something or whatever. <laughs> but no, it's a full-length movie that just, you know, kind of sits there. It has, I, th- I think, we, let's let's just get into it, I guess, now, just more yeah. specific stuff. I guess, uh, how about the 3D? Now, <laughs> it certainly goes over the top of the 3D. It, it acknowledges it, but honestly, I wasn't. It, it seemed more like it, just, it like it started off like with 3D and it was like, yeah, we're going to do this in 3D. And then it kind of turned into, oh, yeah, we're in 3D. Let's do something. And so like every 15 minutes, they would just do something outlandish just to remind the audience that they were wearing these glasses. Yes. Um, I was optimistic in the, the first you know, 10, 15 minutes because they were actively commenting on the fact that it was in 3D, perhaps unnecessarily. Uh, but unfortunately, most of those jokes are in the trailer and there really wasn't any for lack of a better term, meta-humor regarding three conversions and, you know, the 3D craze. And that was disappointing. I thought, you know, there, there needs to, you know, we've been waiting for a movie that's in 3D that sort of mocks the fact that it's in 3D, perhaps unnecessarily. And this could have been that movie. Well, we, we, did, um, we did see Three Musketeers, yeah. Scott, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that note, too, it actually made me worry about the future of stoner movies. Because when you think about it, there's like there's a lot of people who will smoke in their car and then come out to see the movie or in the theater and, as some people near me did yeah or, <laughs> or in the theater if uh, yeah um, but it, it, that plays perfectly to that audience and and as that as 3D becomes more and more popular I just feel like these types of the stoner movie the intelligent stoner movie is is going to go the way of the western like it, it, there's just not going to be that many smart stoner movies. There's never going to be a half-baked again um, because the lure will be, oh, all these kids are going to come stoned. Let's put some weird, you know, funny crap out in 3D, including, you know, gratuitous amounts of pot smoke. So that's just my prediction for the future. And I assume we all saw it in 3D. Were there even 2D yes, screen? Yeah. Were there even yeah. 2D viewings available? Uh, I think there might have been. Well, I very few because from what I gather the, for the box office, 95% of the tickets were sold in 3D, which is just... Or in the pun, eye popping in this day and age. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't um, see any. I didn't see any two D screenings near me. Actually, I was like, oh, um, that's that's a. It seemed like almost like a first where I just didn't have that option, even though I, I think, wanted to see this movie in three D, loosely, I guess. <laughs> and I think part of the problem with the three D in this case is is is, and yes, they shot it in three D, and I don't know whether they shot it on video or film. I honestly don't know, but. And I've, I've seen this like with Drive Angry, which was something that was shot in 3D by someone who knows what he's doing with 3D. But it looked cheap. It looked like a direct-to-video film as a result. And I think with 3D film, we're in that spot that we were in with HD video around 2001, 2002, where everybody was doing it. But unless you're George Lucas or Robert Rodriguez or James you know, whoever, you know, James Cameron you know, in this case, whatever, it looks cheap. We're still in that, you know, it's, it's growing pains. Yes, people are shooting in 3D and they're doing it with a certain amount of success in terms of the gimmick, but it's still at the point where if you shoot on 3D film, it still looks like a cheap made-for-video film or made-for-video picture. And what happens after everyone can make their 3D movie look as good as 
oh, I don't want to say Avatar, but even something like, uh, you know, the converted Green Lantern. Then, you know, we'll see where the technology goes. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. 3D. Sorry, I, I mean, a... <laughs> yeah. There's, there's always so much we can say about the 3D in this movie. So uh... I, I will say my favorite, I mean, I'm going to give away a joke, but we've all seen it, and this is spoiler territory anyway. Yeah, my favorite joke was one right at the very beginning where you have the, the Wall Street protest scene, it's just... which is incredibly timely, by the way. Yeah. But yeah. and you had this this guy holding up a sign saying Wall Street sucks, and the guy next to him saying was Wall Street two suck more. Yes, that made me laugh too. That made me crack. It was like such a uh, quick moment. Too, that, so. that gave me hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing that I did have a lot of. There were a lot of moments that I was generally just laughing a lot. Like I, yeah. I wasn't. There's. It's very hit or miss. I agree with that completely. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, it's not. Great, but I was laughing at a good number of scenes, and um, the the raunch in this movie. Um, speaking of penis, up a speaking of penis mutilation, um, God. <laughs> there's it certainly go, it goes pretty hard on the on on the raunchy stuff. I would uh, actually would it would it would it be as hard as like the the second one, which had what like a a, near, a bottomless party and uh, the cock meat sandwich, and <laughs> other such things. Well, I think this well, was, was really gratuitous with the penis, though. Yeah, that, yeah, it did happen. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, it, I, actually, yeah, it would because it has Danny Trejo all over your face. It has um, Kumar coming out <laughs> in claymation, and it has yeah, a Christmas story with Harold. So, well, I think that's interesting that this movie came out, or I saw it about a week a week before the junket screening. That yeah, I saw that screening like literally the same week that everybody was up in arms over Michael Fassbinder's shame getting an NC-17 yes. for apparently I haven't seen the film you know basically penis shots, and I would be you know I haven't seen the film I don't know if any of you guys have I would be shocked if that movie is as explicit with its penis as this you know it's okay because it's a joke R-rated comedy yeah really I mean yeah. um, well in in defense though Michael Fassbinder's uh, penis is probably really ugly maybe that's the <laughs> maybe that's the difference. That could be the case. The rest of the body know. just obviously makes the has to be one place. For, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's enough of a Michael Fassbender point. <laughs> one thing I, I that did strike me is is in terms of the movie not really being about anything is you know for an R rated you know raunch fest that it is I felt it was kind of gutless. Um, and again, this was part because it wasn't about anything. It didn't really tackle religion or commercial religion of Christmas or anything. But you have this whole setup in the big party scene. Were, and maybe you guys disagree, I don't know. Wasn't the joke supposed to be that the girl that the gu- the nerd was going to have sex with was supposed to be like 13 years old or something? Wasn't, I mean, was I the only one that thought that that was going to be the big reveal? That it turns out that she's got a, you know, a big room full of unicorns and she's like 15 years old. I had no idea but the what was mo- going to happen, actually. I was, yeah, I wasn't uh, sure. I, I thought she was going to have a penis, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so you see, I, thought, I thought, actually, I did think it was either I was either going to be like some weird thing with her boobs because, it, because like the way they shot her from the back behind or like, or she was like a hermaphrodite. Honestly, that's like what I thought it was. Gonna yeah. be. Fair enough. I, I, you know, then perhaps I should not penalize the film from what I felt the movie was leading up to. But I thought, you know, you have a party with a bunch of middle schoolers playing, you know, beer pong. You've got, you know, it's, I'm a virgin. It's my first time, et cetera, et cetera. Thinking, oh God, it turned out she's like 13 years old, which would have been funny. Um, but you know, obviously the movie didn't go there. But it did lead him to the funniest part of the movie, which is the montage of Elias Cotes killing people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, which, for better or worse, was the comic highlight of the picture. 
the uh, thinking of that party scene, actually, I'll get more on that party scene in a second. But um, where the movie kept stopping dead for me was every time they tried to introduce the baby to drugs. That, yes. Yeah. That, none of that was funny at all to me. Like, it, the like, there's a running gag where Tom Lennon has his baby with him, his his little daughter, and she basically goes, she gets high, she gets on coke and ecstasy. Like, there's just all these drug gags involving that child, which I mean, uh, child endangerment just didn't seem funny to me at all in this movie. The way they presented it, there was it just stopped dead every time it got to scenes involving that. Well, as a father of a young daughter who would gladly get his child drunk if it would actually make her nap, yeah. um, <laughs> but it would probably just make her a mean drunk, so I'm not going to chance it. There's, there's, a, no, there's I, a sound bite for Mendelssohn's memos right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's no secret. Um, my problem with that whole plot was you established the father as one of those classically clueless dads that obviously has no idea how to raise children, and you'll just lose me at that moment. Like, no, this would be so much funnier if he was a genuinely good father who just happened to have his kid for the night and then encountered all of this danger and this, you know, again, because he, he, you establish the reality, the reality that I felt the first Harold and Kumar did establish to a certain extent, and then the comedy works. But when you play on the archetypes and stereotypes, even when they're not generally true, you know, you lose the reality and it just becomes a bad joke. It's like, hey, look, the kid's high on marijuana. Well, and the other problem is, you know, where do you go after that? Yeah. Okay, she's laughing. Okay, what next? Okay, she's still on marijuana. That's nice. Oh, now she's on cocaine. Okay, what are you going to do with that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, and I think that that's what I was talking about earlier, which is, it suffers from a lot of characters, but little development. And again, they they have these two characters, well, I guess three, including the baby. They're, they're just locked in the closet for about the last third of the movie. Yeah. And then they, yes. They, they show them in one scene, and that's it. And it's it's really uh, not that not that funny. It's just you know the the joke isn't there. They're just waiting. And even uh, Casey Jones, you know, he's just <laughs> sitting at the, his dinner table too, and that's just like, not funny. Nodding off, yeah. And, yeah. right? Oh. Yeah, and, and it's just it's not really a whole lot of. Uh, it wasn't a good use of these characters, and cool. I guess I was kind of bummed out because I think that this was written by the same people, and it just yeah. really didn't hit on on the. The previous Harold and Kumar, especially when you have other characters that are actually generally like funny. I mean, like you have Danny Trejo who's underplayed as Scott said, but I mean, that's a, that's a good comics resource right there that it could have been used more. I think uh, Patton Oswalt's in this movie in the very beginning is Mall Santa, and <laughs> I mean that could things like that could have come back. Bobby Lee is that I, I thought he was actually funny in his his moment yes. that he had in there and. Uh, even the uh, Rosenberg and Goldstein characters who, yeah, who, apparently got, who apparently got way more Jewish as the series went on, it seems. They seem like regular college guys in the first movie. Then the second movie, they're, you know, being made fun of for being Jewish. In this movie, you have them just, like, way overplaying it and, like, what, which one? Um, Goldstein's, like, converted to Christianity. <laughs> like, it, there's, there's just a lot. There's a lot of... As you said, there's a lot of characters, and it, it seems to it it just didn't really try to with any of them to yeah. you know give them more to do that's you know actually legitimately funny or like better developed or anything. Even like the Neil Patrick Harris stuff, like Scott mentioned, there's just one scene with him, and it yeah. it barely relates to the film. That's it. I I actually I I I was laughing a lot during yeah. Neil Patrick Harris's stuff, but yeah, it's completely separate from the in in a world of where it could be just you know segments. I mean, that could have. I, I'd, I'd watch the, the Harold and Kumar meet Neil Patrick Harris five minute like you know TV short that comes yeah. in between something, but yeah, it doesn't really 
You know, speaking of that, it'd be actually really interesting if this is just like a 12 Nights of Christmas kind of thing with Harold and Kumar kind of thing. That, that would make a little bit more sense. You know, like, they just do weird things on 12 different nights leading up to Christmas. Yeah, like and, a random, like, like a web series of, like, 12 shorts. Yeah, or something like that. Right exactly, yeah. yeah. But speaking of, like, the Neil Patrick Harris thing, that gets to the point of, I didn't laugh all the way through, uh, maybe not as much as you are. I laughed at, like, a few specific parts, which is, the Neil Patrick Harris one was, was actually really funny and just... Um, I, I really laughed when he like, introduced himself as his character from Starship Troopers. That baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone yes. forgets that. <laughs> but um, I also laughed at like the Rizza part with the Christmas tree picking up. And beyond that, maybe just like a few things here and there. Not a whole lot of, um, again, laugh out loud moments. And uh, the claymation part was funny. I thought that was a good segment. I would have liked the claymation part more if I hadn't seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia do a claymation sequence and Community. Or Community. Yeah. Oh. And, yeah, and done, so... done much better as well. <laughs> True, yeah. I was thinking this this whole time movie could have just been claymated. I think that would actually be really funny. It would have been pretty cool. So... Uh, uh, ironically, somebody mentioned, one of you guys mentioned about a TV series. Apparently, Lionsgate is shopping a TV series for Il Nuke Kumar. Uh, I don't know any details, but someone's trying to make a TV series. Well, uh, would you watch it? If especially if the two get, two of them came back, I, I, yeah, it probably depend on I'd what, give it a try. It depends on what network I think it was on. <laughs> like UPN, Fox Family, Fox Family. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> that's good. They'd air it right after Gilmore Girls. I totally. Agree. Hey, it would make a great crossover with Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> and switch switch to birth. Um, all right, I think. We're going long on Harold and Cooper. I think um, yeah. I think we've kind of talked it to death here. Um, actually, one one last question: If a fourth one emerged, besides the TV series that apparently is being shot around, if there was a fourth Harold and Kumar movie, would you guys want to see it? I hope that it would be a step up. I'd still be curious to see it, but I'd hope that it would be a step up. Yeah, I'd only if they got the director from the first movie to come back and and do the fourth one. Otherwise, I'd. I don't think I'd see it in theaters. This one hurt. And just to yeah. just to say something to you, Matt, the f- director of the first Harold and Kumar is also the same director of Van Wilder. Just, oh, just to point that out. <laughs> I knew it that all makes sense now. It all adds up. He yeah. did Dude, Where's My Car too, which is actually a decently funny movie. See, there's I need there's to see that. there's your answer to that question, Scott. Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> <laughs> I would see it if the director came back, and darn it, if they got Chris Maloney back. <laughs> True. See, now I have to, like, watch, well, at least the first one again, just to, because of this revelation I've had that Chris Maloney was the truck driver. I did not realize that at all. It's excellent. Then again, again, you guys like those that movie more than I more than I do. And I like it a good deal. I just have to never really revisit it, I guess. Okay, so let's uh, let's get to our rating. Each week we try to we try to rate the movies that we talk about, but not with a number or a letter or a thumbs up or anything. We try to rate it on when you should go and see this movie. So we have a scale that goes from IMAX to theater to dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, and just kind of forget about it. So uh, let's go. Let's let's well, let's start with how we started. Matt, how would you rate this based on that scale? Uh, uh, somewhere between forget about it and TV. I, I put it in there. It, if I if you gun to my head, I'd say. Uh, forget about it. Abe? I'd say um, Netflix it, but that that's that's giving it some uh, some more than it deserves. <laughs> Scott, I would say Netflix too, if only because you know you want it uncut if you're going to watch it in the first place. You don't want to watch the FX version, and you know you can fast forward the boring parts. Yeah, based that yeah, that's a good. That's where I stand as well. Netflix, yeah, 
So I guess it's not becoming a Christmas classic down the line for you guys. No. Okay. It's not not after Elf and A Christmas Story you don't put on Barry Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's do a little – well, since we have Scott on, let's do a little box office results here. We do that every week. But because Scott's here, he can handle it way more efficiently than we tend to. But before we go to the actual results, let's go to what our predictions were last week for Barry Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. Abe, do you remember what your guess was? Yes, I believe I said third with – 15 million? Yeah, you did. Um, yeah. Guest last week, Adam Gentry. Guest first place with 20 million. I guess second place with 17 million. But these standings are a little different. Uh, Abe, you're actually closest this week. It's uh, Harold Akubar got third place with 13 million. But mm-hmm. I'm going to let Scott kind of detail what happened this week at the box office. Well, I think it, the in general, the box office can be summed up as Puss in Boots, holy crap. Um, <laughs> I. Puss in Boots opened Halloween weekend last week. Somewhat of a surprise because it was moved from the traditional DreamWorks opens their animated films in the first weekend of November to kick off the holiday season. They opened it in Halloween. They had a somewhat smaller than usual opening for a DreamWorks title of about $34 million, And I theorized, you know, I'm going to say I predicted this because no one, I mean, dear God, um, <laughs> that they basically were, were playing a game of poker, hoping that the word of mouth of the movie would get them, instead of one massive opening weekend, two really good weekends. Um, it worked. It went from a $34 million opening weekend to a $33 million second weekend. That's a drop of 3%. That is, to my knowledge, the smallest second weekend drop for any major release that would where the second weekend was not falling on a holiday. Yeah, that's... So it's basically the strongest hold ever wow. for, for a wide release. Uh, it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I was shocked at how good it was, how, you know, how much work and effort obviously went into something that could have been just a, you know, a cheap spinoff just to, Hey, people like Puss in Boots will make a movie about it. I was surprised myself. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think audiences were surprised. And I think there was a little bit of trepidation. It was sort of a, no, 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 wait, it really is good kind of movie. Uh, and movies like that are hard to sell because even if the reviews are positive, you know, you start with a, with a, with a position of negativity. Uh, I think Warrior had that problem. Uh, I, you know, very, very good movie. I saw it very early. Uh, Lionsgate worked their butts off to get the word out. But when you tell somebody that you saw Warrior, you know, again, you're like, no, 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 really, it's actually really good. Um... Puss in Boots now is about $75 million after 10 days. It's still in the middle of the ballpark for, for DreamWorks films after 10 days. Uh, they've got two weeks, they've got a full week to go, or two full weeks before Happy Feet, which was part of the reason they moved a week early, I think. Uh, where it goes from here, I don't know. It could easily do another $30 million. Uh, because this is, frankly, unprecedented. So I didn't want to predict what it's going to do next weekend. I like to be optimistic and say another $25. Who knows? Tower Heist... Did came in in second place with about twenty five million. People are calling this a giant underperformer, a flop, a ma- you know. It, it opened a little softer than expected. The general consensus was it was going to do about thirty million dollars. But looking at the numbers, you know, when, be- when Ben Stiller isn't doing a kids film that is not connected to the Fokker franchise, thirty <laughs> million is pretty much the high, you know, the ceiling. Most of you know this did about what Tropic Thunder opened to. It did about twenty five million over three days. Um, it had pretty solid legs toward the end of summer of 2008 and closed down at about $100 million. Is this going to do that? I don't know. I happen to think it's a pretty decent movie. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. And we'll get to that a little bit in a second, yeah. I think the film was hampered by its marketing campaign, 
which in turn was hampered by the fact that it's not a very flashy movie. It's an old-fashioned, character-driven, you know, comedic drama. It didn't have a lot of, you know, huge, shocking laughs. It didn't have a lot of shocking action scenes. It didn't have a lot of money shots that you could show in a trailer. Frankly, I was bored by the marketing campaign. Uh, I had opportunities to see this early. I sort of passed on them. I ended up seeing it at a Friday morning matinee of my own accord. And to my surprise, I liked it quite a bit. Um, uh, ideally, best case scenario, the movie is going to be the grown-up movie of choice for really the next month. Because there's not much for grown-ups other than Oscar bait for a while. You know, next weekend you've got Immortals, which is, you know, going after the 300 audience. You've got... Uh, Jack and Jill, which is a PG-rated Adam Sandler comedy, uh, which I didn't even I didn't even know it was PG until somebody pointed it out to me after I wrote my box office right up this morning. Um, I, to be honest, I know nothing about the movie other than he plays a sister. I haven't watched the trailer. I, I don't care. I wish I could honest. be you in that position. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't care. I, I, the only pure Adam Sandler comedy I've ever liked was Don't Mess with the Zohan. Um, oddly enough. That's a random one, but all right. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the weekend after that, I got Twilight and Happy Feet 2. Not exactly what's going to get mom and dad to the theater, unaccompanied anyway. And, you know, other than Oscar bait, you know, you, there's not much for grown-ups. Tower Heist could be that movie. And if it catches on as the casual movie-going, movie-goer choice, then it has a chance to have legs, and it might crawl to $100 million. Um, Ethel Harriman and Kumar 3... It did $13 million, uh, lower than the second film, better than the first film. But the first film opened to like $5 million. Yeah. That was basically a flop. The only reason we got we got two more is because they do well on DVD. Um, this film obviously had a higher, you know, had 3D ticket bump. So the fact that it opened lower, there's not many ways you can spin this positively. Yeah. The viewer interest just wasn't there. You know, but... but the movie cost $20 million. It's probably going to make $20 million, maybe 25 total domestic. It's probably going to do about that much overseas. And, you know, in the long run, it'll be profitable. We probably will see a Harold and Kumar 4. Whether it will be in theaters or on DVD is an open question. Uh, in terms of holdover business, uh, Paranormal Activity dropped like a rock again, but that's the business. It's already done $95 million. It surpassed the $84 million gross of the second film. It's going to surpass the $109 million gross of the first film by Thanksgiving. So it's a win. We'll be seeing Paranormal Activity for, you know, October 20-whatever-it's next year. Um, the other holdovers, and this is something I think is worth commenting on, had relatively small drops. Uh, in Time dropped by 36%. Footloose dropped by 17%. Real Steel dropped by 28%. There's a lot of pundits running around screaming that the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling in terms of domestic box office. It's not falling. What's happening is you're having smaller films that are cheaper, that don't have huge opening weekends, but they have better legs. Mm. So you might ask, why is everybody screaming the sky is falling, the sky is falling? Because the studios want you to think by you, I, I don't know who exactly they're preaching to, the studios want the story out there that theatrical, you know, that, that first-run exhibition is in peril because then video on demand, which they desperately want, can be the great savior. 
<laughs> because it doesn't, you know, if you're a theater, you like movies that may not open to 40 million, but only open to 30 million, but do 20 million on the second weekend, 50 million on the third, and so forth. Because as a film plays out slowly, the theaters get more of a percentage of the ticket sales. So it's in their interest to have leggier movies that maybe don't do, you know, 40% of their money in the first three days. I think that Real Steel opening to $27 million, but crawling to $80, $90 million, instead of opening to $40 million and getting to that $80 million in three weekends, is better for the theaters, worse for the studios, which is why I think you have, you know, Nikki Fink and people of that nature screaming that the sky is falling on domestic box office. It's not. It's, it's comparing weekend to weekend is stupid. Movie, different movies come out on different weekends. Literally, you're like comparing apples and oranges. You know, I'm mean, to use a different industry. It would be like if, you know, one weekend Grand Theft Auto 2 came out, Grand Theft Auto 5 came out, and the next, you know, October 5th, Grand Theft Auto 5 came out. The next October 5th, next year, nothing came out of note. And we're saying, oh my God, the box office is doomed because the total amount of money the movies made was a lot less than what Grand Theft Auto made. Of course it's a lot less. You didn't have Grand Theft Auto 5. But, you know, this is the way people talk in box office analysis. Uh, where you get the, you know, there's a slump, there's a slump, there's a slump. There's not a slump. You're seeing smaller movies, cheaper movies, opening smaller, but having leggier runs. Which in the end, unless you want nothing but but you know fantasy tentpole franchises, is what you want out of big studio films. I'm curious how it would have worked out if Tower because Tower Heist had famously the uh, they were uh, in three weeks from now. Suppose early on was the plan to release it you know video on demand as well for like sixty dollars, yes. and that all fell through because the basically the what studios got cold feet for theaters were like, we're going to, we're just going to pull, we're not going to screen the movie if, that was, yes. if that's what the plan was. I'm curious how that would have, how that would have affected the box office overall if that uh, actually went. The world will never know. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so that's, uh, that was a lot of box office talk, but uh, let's do a little retro review where we uh, talk about a few films that we may have thought of while watching or after the fact uh, for Harold and Kumar. So, uh, start with, uh, let's start with Scott this time, actually. Scott, do we have any, any other movies that came to mind? Thinking of Harry, very Harold and Kumar Christmas. Well, obviously the first two Harold and Kumar movies. Yeah. Duh. Um, again, I, I sort of felt a, a weird connection, for lack of a better word, the Austin Powers franchise. They're both New Line Cinema, for what it's worth. The first film, I think, is a masterpiece. I think it's my, it's probably my favorite comedy of the 1990s. Um, I think it's, it's frankly one of the better modern comedies of all time. And like the first Harold and Kumar, it was about something. Yeah. It was about something relevant. It was basically, an, you know, basically a rebuttal to the cliche that, oh, the flower child people were just a bunch of idiots that want to get stoned and get laid. Like, no, it was it was really about rebellion and freedom, et cetera, et cetera. And with the, you know, through the Austin Powers character, basically apologizing for the means in which they expressed that rebellion that made the movement look bad. And it was just a good parody film, too. Which yes, is it was something a wonderful like, parody yeah, just... of... Of action films. And it's just it's something that the sequels weren't. They were just kind of straight no. up, let's spoof things uh, that are current right now. Yes. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the Austin <laughs> Powers movie. Great first film, crappy sequels. Cool. Uh, Matt, any films in mind? Yeah, on that note, Matrix, uh, the Matrix Revolution specifically. I feel like the Harold and Kumar arc mirrors the, the Matrix arc, which was a great first movie. 
a second movie where you're all right with its limitations, and then a third movie where you become incredibly depressed afterwards. <laughs> so the, that that arc immediately after watching Harold and Kumar, I was like, oh, this is just like the Matrix. It was it was also weird when Neil Patrick Harris plugged himself in. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, and then a Christmas story for obvious reasons yes. that we mentioned earlier. Abe? Um, besides all the, the Christmas stories and previous Harold Kumar's, uh, two that I thought of were Jingle All the Way and oh. Friday After Next, which are... These two movies are... Friday After are... Next, that's another New Line franchise that <laughs> where, the, where the third entry took place at Christmas time. That's, yeah. that's a nice pull. Like, these are movies that you're not sure why they're made, and uh, they're they're holiday movies, but they're not very good. Um, because Friday and Next Friday were actually really funny. I actually really enjoyed those uh, with Ice Cube. Um, like Friday. <laughs> yeah. D-Bone, yeah. Uh, but uh, Jing All The Way, uh, dude... Is not the the jingle all the way that I forgot the toy Turbo Man isn't he like basically the, same, the hottest toy and so is uh, Awful Bot. Yeah, but Awful Bot's so much more practical. Awful Bot is cooler. It's more practical. <laughs> it saves you from Russian <laughs> gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I uh, the the movie that came to mind actually for me was Jane Silent Bob Strike Back of all things. I mean, like, as you know, it's kind of a, a a comedy stoner duo and they go on various adventures all over. You know. Jane Silent Bob kind of go to Hollywood, but the uh, Errol and Kumar just kind of go in the city. But I mean that that movie just kind of came to mind because it's 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 very silly, kind of fun. But I had a lot more fun watching Jane Silent Bob than I had watching Harold and Kumar roam around. Was it Detroit? I I it think so. Detroit, but it's supposed to be New York. It's supposed to be yeah. New York because it just looked like Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> that was Detroit. All right. They mentioned Manhattan a lot. Did I think it? New York, yeah. What did it have? It had like a 73 on Rotten Tomatoes? That was... Yeah. Where did that come from? Like, of all movies to get like a pretty fairly high review, even like the second film got lower than the third one. That, that surprised me. That threw me off that it was that well regarded. Agreed. Yeah. Um... All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to let's do let's do this somewhat quick. Let's do our review of uh, Tower Heist here. Let's talk about it for a little bit, and I'll play some of the trailer right now. Morning, Mr. Shaw. Everything's set for your dinner party. The guy stole from everyone who works in your building. They're gonna get our money. It's all gone. I'm thinking of becoming a male prostitute. I think I might have a better idea. So you're saying you want to rob $20 million from Arthur Shaw's penthouse apartment? Yes. You're going to go to jail. Yes. And you're going to die. Probably yes. both. Yeah. Yes. Join me. I'm in. I'm in. Well, now we're undefeatable, aren't we? Let's storm the castle together. We're not criminals. We don't know how to steal. And that's the one who does. You made bail. Today I taught you how to pick a lock with a bobby pin. Here's your bobby pin. This is your bobby pin. This is your punk-ass Bobby Penn. You unlock the door, you won't freeze to death. I'm going to be inside having sex with Rita. Who's Rita? All right, that was a little bit of the trailer for Tower Heist, the new heist comedy caper directed by Brett Ratner, starring Ben Stiller as the manager of a very large tower. That's not Trump Tower, apparently. Uh, he is the manager of the several of uh, many employees who are all scammed out of their pensions due to the wealthiest tower occupant, played by Alan Alda, who apparently launches some kind of Ponzi scheme, which costs everyone their money, and Alan Alda is on the brink of going to jail, it seems, and uh, Ben Stiller recruits a number of his fellow former employees, including Casey Affleck, Everett Sidibe, 
Michael Pena, as well as one of the building other buildings, other tenants played by Matthew Broderick, who's a former Wall Street guy who just basically is bankrupt now. Uh, he recruits all Ben Stiller recruits all of them to basically rob Alan Alda's character of the secret money that he possibly has stashed somewhere in his penthouse. Uh, he also recruits a small-time crook played by A. Murphy to help him out in this, you know, crime of the century, I guess, uh, <laughs> featuring a bunch of idiots trying to rob the tower. Um, I'll just go into my thoughts real quick. I, I was um, basically I got every out of this movie. I got everything I expected. It was very okay. That's kind of what I got away with it. I think there's there's some moments that are pretty that are fairly chuckle worthy i think some of the the uh, performances are better than others i think uh, eddie murphy is kind of underused in this movie opposed to how it tried to market it as his big return to form and that's for better or worse i mean a little bit of his character kind of went a long way uh, ben stiller plays pretty much the straight man here and he's kind of less nervous than he has been in other straight man roles so i kind of appreciated that and actually he does some fairly good dramatic work for a movie that's basically a, a crime comedy and uh, really, the standouts for me were Casey Affleck and um, Matthew Broderick, who had a lot of. They brought a lot of dry humor to the to proceedings that I, I quite enjoyed. The uh, the heist itself, I wasn't too big on, mainly because of so many logic problems I had in a movie that's you know pretty much farce, but still could have done with more realistic stakes than seemed to be presented. But overall, it was very very decently entertaining. That's kind of where I'm coming away with it, uh, Scott. Uh, I agree with you more or less. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought the first half, or excuse me, the first third I thought was exceptionally good. Uh, and what I liked about it is that Brett Ratner basically played it straight. It's a, it's a real movie. It, it establishes a somewhat you know, unfortunate, tragic, sad scenario and doesn't sacrifice the drama for laughs. Uh, when I say that I didn't laugh that much at the movie, I don't mean that as an insult. It's not a particularly broad comedy. It's basically a light, dramatic caper with characters that occasionally do or say something funny. Uh, yes, Eddie Murphy is quote-unquote underused, but I very much appreciated how the movie, how he did not, they did not allow him to take over the movie. He shows up at about the 40-minute mark, uh, and he was a lot like, you know, for example, the genie in Aladdin or, out of left-field reference, the Joker in Batman Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> where he shows up, gives the movie sort of a comedic shot in the arm, and then gets out of the way with this, because the story needs to be developed. Um, I thought Ben Stiller was excellent. And again, it was a very good... I thought the best scenes in the movie were this, the dramatic scenes between him and Alan Alda. I thought Alan Alda was terrific. He was perfectly he slimy. Basically. Yeah, but what I liked about the movie is they didn't reveal his level of slime right away. I mean, yes, he's arrested pretty quickly, about the 20-minute mark, but and while we pretty much assume that he's guilty pretty quickly, the movie takes its time revealing what a, a jerk he is. Uh, he maintains a facade of pleasant, you know, pleasantness and politeness and courtesy, which kind of, you know, it's not like you think he's innocent, but he also maybe he kind of maybe is, because, you know, it takes him a while before he becomes a real jerk. I like Tia Leone in this film as the, the FBI agent. I like that she's not stupid. She's very intelligent. She's very on the ball. Her and Ben Stiller have very good, relatively non-romantic chemistry. Uh, I appreciate that they didn't turn her into a love interest, more or less. Um, and by the end of the movie, you're rooting for Ben Stiller, but you're also rooting for Tia Leone to not be humiliated, uh, which which makes the movie more suspenseful than what I would be. Um... I like that, that I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize. Gabrielle Sidibe? Gabrielle Sidibe. 
Thank you. I should write <laughs> that down. Um, she is funny. She does not play precious. She does not play a stereotypical, you know, when I don't want to get into, you know, racial profiling here, but she does not play the kind of character that a lazy casting director would cast her as. And when you find out why she's on the team, it's not for reasons you'd expect. Um, she's very funny. She has a, a very funny low key comedic scene with Eddie Murphy. Um, where she kind of sort of hits on him. But even that doesn't go as broad as it otherwise could. What I liked about the movie is that it takes its world seriously and it doesn't sacrifice its narrative for the sake of cheap jokes. And as far as the heist, you're right. The heist goes on for too long. The third act overall goes on for too long. Yeah. And ironically, the second act feels very truncated. It's, you know, basically it's a hundred minute movie. It's, it feels 40, 20, 40. And it feels like you're missing about 20 minutes in the second act. As far as the third act, it goes on for too long. But I appreciated that the heist was clumsy enough that the movie remembers that these are not professional thieves. This is not going to be an Ocean Eleven type heist. This is not going to be Michael Mann's thief. These guys are bumblers. And you really, and it creates tension because you really don't see how they're going to get away with this. And you don't want them to go to jail. See, I, yeah, I can agree. I can agree with a lot of that with, with how it kind of presents. I think a lot of it, honestly, it, it's kind of it's. Kind of, it, I, I like blaming Brett Ratner for a lot of these things, just because I when I when I think of Brett Ratner, I think of movies that he he knows how to make like an entertaining film, but there's something about he he's just he he, he, he I think he depends too much on having the cast that he has, opposed to maybe well crafting a crafting an effectively well kind of paced story. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of holes, I think. Oh, I, I agree with you about Brett Ratner, but I also think that's not necessarily, in all cases, a bad thing. He's smart enough to know his own limitations. And, you know, if you ever listen to his commentary tracks or any kind of behind the scenes, he, you know, he makes a point to cast actors that are above the material. He makes a point to cast production people, that they're the best people they can possibly get to say yes. And to a certain extent, he stands out of their way. Now, you could argue that that's him being lazy, but it's also that he's being smart enough not to sabotage his own work. I, yeah, um, I, think that, I think that works up to a point. I think that's kind of why I think the first act works pretty well, because he kind yeah. of lets all the actors basically develop their characters in a, in a fairly logical sense. But then he gets to the all the hijinks that ensue in the third act, and it seems like there's they kind of had the idea on paper and they had the actors they wanted involved and how to make it entertaining, but it kind of sacrifices what you would consider to be logical in a movie that is a comedy overall and doesn't need to be taken too seriously, but seems like there should be more that feel that feels kind of, I mean, without, I don't want to spoil, I don't want to spoil how the heist goes down, but it seems like there's so many, so many big holes in how they pull off various aspects of the heist and so many conveniences that need to occur for them to make it happen appropriately. Well, I think also to a certain extent, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. It's, 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 but I think part of that is because, you know, as the, as without going into details, to a certain extent, the fact that they do or don't accomplish what they set out to do depends a lot on luck. But I think the movie kind of acknowledges that, that, you know, the ice keeps going in different directions and unexpected directions. And one of the things I liked about it is that the, there are, you know, there is suspense coming from several different directions at one time. You know, you, I, I'm not gonna give away saying anything by this, you know, obviously you don't want Tia Leone's FBI character to catch them. You don't want, 
you know, Alan Alda to discover what they're doing. You want the heist to go relatively according to plan. And there are other characters that intermingle in ways that I won't reveal that create suspense because with the exception of Alan Alda, you like everybody involved in the movie, even the people that find themselves in opposite forces. Yeah, I'd agree with that overall. And I think that speaks to why the heist genre is generally well accepted by people because you want to, you basically want to see, you want to see a, you know, a, a fun, clever way of, of how these people all negotiate their various uh, specialties and how it all comes together and see what kind of twists and turns are presented to them. And that's kind of a standard for that genre. And it's a, it's a fun kind of thing to watch. And I think, I think this movie kind of mostly achieves it by, you know, being entertaining and just as long as you don't really think about what's going on in the heist. I mean, I, 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 I guess the way I feel with it overall, you know, I, I basically I think I give it a, like a B or something. But I basically said, you know, it's as good as every mainstream Hollywood picture should be. You know, maybe that's, you know, it's the least you can do. But yeah, to a certain extent, the, the level of, of competence and craftsmanship and character development and acting on display is what we should accept. You know, it's, to a certain extent, what we used to, a certain level of quality that we used to take for granted. Yeah. The only, the only actor that I think gets the, the raw deal, frankly, is Judd Hirsch. Yes, yeah. And I don't want to go into details, but he's underused, and what happens to him in the finale, you know, he suffers a token humiliation that he doesn't deserve. Yeah, Judd, Judd Hirsch yeah. is in this film, and he's, you know, he's a, he could be a very good actor, he could be a very good yeah. comic actor, and he just kind of doesn't have anything given to, to him to do yeah. well, besides just oh. be the authority. <laughs> yeah, and he has one very low-key scene in the first act that, you know, sort of establishes that, you know, he, he, you know, that he is in a rock and a hard place. He knows he got screwed too, but he also has to keep his job, basically. Yeah. What happens to him is not fair to him, and it never really gets rectified. Yeah, agree, agreed with that. Okay, and you know, yeah, without spoiling it, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the things I've enjoyed about seeing the reaction to, to Tower Heist over this past kind of week as it's come out is that it's basically the most mildly praised movie of the year where no one really over, <laughs> over no, no one really overtly hates the movie but no one really thinks they did like a really bang up job on making a really clever heist movie it's just kind of like yeah. it's good like it's it's fine it's like i told abe earlier today it's like you know it's a rainy day outside you could you could go see this movie and you'd be, you'd enjoy it like that's yeah. and you know that's that's not a bad thing it's certainly it's a, there's a lot of good things about it and i do recommend it overall it's just it's not it, it's certainly not blowing anything away, and it's it's a, it's a it's a good enough it's a good enough watch. And I guess we can we can get to our rating on the film now. Yeah. And I, I would and I would say it's a good dollar theater movie. That's where I would kind of stand on it. Uh, I would say a, a matinee, or if you're going with friends, whatever the tickets cost. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's you know, because uh, again, I thought the first act was very strong. I was surprised how engaged I was and how much I cared. And that bought uh, for me that bought the movie a lot of goodwill, you know, for, for the remaining uh, hour. I do, I do agree with you that uh, Ben Stiller and Alan Alda share some really, really solid yes. scenes together. And Ben Stiller in particular does, he does do credible acting. Where I was, I was more happy to see this Ben Stiller than you know see him be like really, you know, really, really neurotic all the time, like he has been. Yeah. A number an umpteenth number of straight man leading roles in villain films. So it was, and he and he did it all with the uh, with his. Astoria accent also as well. Uh, I actually have a Alan Alda story to con- to contribute if you guys are interested. Sure. Let's hear it. So uh, Alda is doing some type of production at the Geffen, which is uh, by uh, it, it, which is in Westwood, which is close to where I live. 
Um, and me and a friend of mine uh, were driving around, and we saw him, like, walking from the Walgreens, and we're both big West Wing fans. And so, like, <laughs> my, my, my friend rolls down, and, like, nobody, it's a shame, because he's Alan Alda, but all these, like, 22 and 23-year-olds, if you're not Taylor Lautner, they're not going to recognize you. So he's just walking around. If they're not Taylor so Lautner, my, if they're not uh, fans of the MASH movie, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but so my friend, like, rolls down the window, and he just yells, you should have beat Jimmy Smith. And we get, like, a little, <laughs> we get a little, like, thumbs up from uh, from the Alba, which made, made my life. <laughs> Actually, if I, I, he, in the original script for the West Wing, supposed yeah. to. And then Leo died, yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, too much of a sucker punch for both, you know, to kill him off and have him lose. Yeah, yeah. I like uh, Nick. Who died? Who, who, who died? I'm sorry. Who? Uh, John yeah. Spencer. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, real quick, let's do a little retro review for Tower Heist as well. Scott, any movies in particular you thought of for, for Tower Heist? Um... Uh, I mean, I don't want to be obvious. You know what? I'll be honest. I like these. I liked Our Eyes more than the Ocean Eleven films. Um, be mind, I'm not a huge junkie of the Ocean Eleven films. I didn't like the second one for the same reason most people don't like the second one. It's absurd and doesn't make a lot of sense. That's why I like the I, second one. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm saying it, that's it, why I like the second one. Yeah. I will admit that it tries and fails. Yeah. Which is better than not trying. Agreed. Other than the Ocean's Eleven films, uh. I don't know. I guess you know. Obviously, the Eddie Murphy, you know, Forty Eight Hours, things of that nature. Um, now I'm going to go with that. I'll let you guys take over. Yeah, I uh, yeah, the Ocean series came to mind, but uh, the, the film that I thought of that kind of played plays fast and loose with farce and is just really well under underseen. I think uh, called Welcome to Collinwood, which um, it's this it's this movie. It stars Sam Rockwell. It came out in 2002, um, among others. It's a really it's a heist movie. It's produced by Clooney and Soderbergh together, and um, it's just this. It's it's very simple. It's just this. It's it's um, I think it's set present day, but it kind of has a it has its own kind of dialogue rhythms. It's written by it's written directed by the Russo brothers uh, who do who did uh, like Arrested Development and Community. They do a lot of work in Community, and uh, it's just this this really low key. Very it was in limited release when it came out. Just really low key comedy that I really enjoy called Welcome to Collinwood. So there's a uh, William H Macy's in there. Um, Clooney has a small part in there. It's just a, it's a fun little movie. I think more people should see. Well, yeah, I think that's it for the movie reviews now. So let's, um, Abe, I think you know what time it is. Do you know what time <laughs> it is? I'm going to guess it's G-A-M-E-S time. It is. For those who can't spell, it's games. <laughs> it is. It is game time. Oh, very holiday cheerfully. I, I tried. You know what? I spent hours and hours playing Uncharted 3 this weekend, but I spent one second putting together that um, that tune right then. So I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, the game we're going to play this week is The Return of Knockout, where um, three of us, because there are four of us, three of us will basically go on a, a circular pattern of trying to quickly name off the films of either an actor or director named by the person not participating in the game. Um, it's, it's pretty fun. We tried it before and we're going to try it again right now. And I will start and uh, I will name, I will name an actor and let me say the order right now. It will go Abe, Scott, Matt. Okay. That's, uh, that's the order. Okay. Um, the actor I am going to, well, let's see, I'll just stop saying the actor. Um, get ready. It's coming. Ben Stiller films. Go. Um, meet the parents. Greenberg. Uh, permanent midnight. Reality Bites. 
Meet the Fockers. Uh, meet. Uh, you can. Damn, you're out. Okay. Damn, damn it. <laughs> uh, little Fockers. Meet the parents. That's what I was thinking. Oh, I already Abe said, meet, said the parents. meet the parents already. Ah, crap. Oh. Uh, dodgeball. Dodgeball. <laughs> Abe, oh, you're doing too late. Abe won this round. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Abe, you, the, you were the winner, so you pick something. Okay. So, um, and I'll go. I guess this will go Aaron, uh, Scott, and Matt. Okay. Uh, let's go with Michael Mann films. It's not going to be a high. Okay. Um, Manhunter. Thief. Miami Vice. Heat. Uh, Ali. Uh, um, no. That's so bad. <laughs> I am not good at this game. It's all right. The Insider. The, Public I, I Are we going to count that? It was, it was way late. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, what's left? <laughs> uh, 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 last of the weekends. Uh, Public Enemies. Um... Ooh, the water's running hot. The, 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 the uh, oh. L.A. Takedown. That's the movie Heat's based on. Oh, of. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, a, a thief. I think somebody already said that, but just in case uh, you, a thief. You said, you said that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I don't, you have to think of any other Michael Mann. Yeah, I'm trying to think so of other, guys, yeah. I, we're done uh, with that, but I'm going to look it up. He hasn't made that many movies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wasn't the biggest, most prolific director. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Quick, Brad Bird. <laughs> yeah, crap. Uh, Mr. Russell goes protocol. Oh, we didn't pick a collateral at all. Okay. Oh, oh crap. Collateral. Ah. Like we were missing. Uh, it's like the last one. Yes. Okay. Uh, Scott, you name one for us. Oh, okay. Um, um, Tim Burton. Batman. Batman Returns. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, or Scissorhands, as he was on <laughs> Wait, not, I mean, never before Christmas. You're, you're wrong in both cases, Abe. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Henry Selick. Um, Sweeney Todd. Uh, Coraline, right? Nope, that's also Henry Selick. Henry Selick. <laughs> Henry Selick hates you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's it, because uh, I'm already out. <laughs> yeah, it's me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you won. Okay. Uh, Matt, name one, then we can end. Let's do uh, Ed Norton move. Uh, 25th Hour. Primal Fear. The Incredible Hulk. Uh, the, the, the job. Something about the job. <laughs> something about the job. <laughs> oh. Oh, the score. That's what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, um, a fight club. Your turn, Eric. Fight club. Uh, if it's my turn, down in the valley. Um... Uh, the Italian job. Ooh, nice. Scott. Oh, the Bourne Legacy. Rounders. If it's my turn, I'm screwed. Okay. Yeah, I have my closer. Keeping the Faith. Ben Stiller. Oh, I like that movie, too. Ben Stiller. Sadly, I haven't thought about it in 10 years, though. He directed that movie, Edward Norton. He did. Yeah. Has he directed anything since? I don't think so. Unless you, count, unless you count the various movies he's taken over in the editing room. <laughs> yeah. American History X and The Incredible Hulk, those two. <laughs> Although, to be fair with The Incredible Hulk, he was with the director against the studio. Yeah. 
And he was right if you've seen the deleted scenes. All right. Um, yeah, that's a good do it for game time this week. Uh, wait, who won? That over- I guess I won, probably overall. <laughs> Yay for me. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on to next week. Uh, we are going to discuss Immortals, the new film from Tarson, starring um, Henry Cavill, future Superman, and a host of others, including Stephen Dorff and Mickey Rourke, the, the, that dynamic duo. And, uh, That's an all-star cast. Yeah, right there. A new Stephen Dorff picture. <laughs> <laughs> From the mega block uh, some, somewhere. Okay. Um, yeah, so let's uh, predict the box office for Immortals next week. And uh, it's opening up against uh, Jack and Jill. And uh, Jay Edgar also opens wider. And you still have, you know, Puss in Boots and Tower Heist to fend off. So, uh Let's start with Matt. Where do you think Immortals is going? <laughs> I hate you, Aaron. <laughs> I would like to guess exactly what Scott guesses plus one dollar. That would be <laughs> that would be my guess. Yeah, so the... I'm really bad at this, so don't make fun of me, Scott, because you know a lot more than I'm better about analyzing than I am at predicting. I base it over whether I'm gonna like the movie or not, and that's pure. That's purely it. So. Well, you know, sometimes that you know, I knew that the, the the what's it called, the brave one was going to flop because as a Jodie Foster fan, I didn't want to see it. Yeah, that is that's another pull that adds to our the fan and uh, <laughs> what was the other random one that we had? Uh, phenomenon. Phenomenon. Yes, there's our there's our triple feature right there. <laughs> the brave one, the I fan, that... and, and phenomenon. That's what like TBS is going to be showing at 2 a.m. this uh, this upcoming Saturday. That exact block. Um, my guess would be I, I don't think it's going to do well. So my guess would be eight million. In what place? <laughs> third, third. Oh, in in fourth place. Because you got Puss in Boots, and I think Jack and Jill sadly will do better than it, and then something else will do better. All right, Abe. Uh, yeah, we'll go with four and eleven million. Okay, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say third place. Had on thirteen million. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Not stabbing in the dark at all. Okay, Scott, what do you, what do you think of Mortals? Uh, I don't particularly. Uh, ranking to me is it's for me. It's all about the numbers. Yeah. But having said that, um. Oh, 78. I'm kidding. Um, let's see. 78? Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, uh, the 3D bump by itself should get it over 10, you'd think. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. a lot will de- a little bit will depend on the reviews, because if it ends up actually being decent, I think people that otherwise wouldn't check it out might decide, but it's... it's it's the sort. It's that, Let's say that sword and sandal range, which is always. Keep in mind that this isn't anything I want to bet on, but fifteen million. Fifteen. I think enough action junkies are going to go out. It's rated R, which is helpful. Um, and you know, Clash of the Titans got to sixty, three hundred got to seventy. I think a Z grade version can get to at least fifteen. But again, I will not be held accountable for that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see how that turns out. I guess next week. <laughs> I, I, I'm quite curious because you do still have Puss in Boots out, and you have. God, Jack and Jill, the, the the cult that is Adam Sandler. Well, it is PG though, so you know it might alienate his his fans that drive the other ones up to you know over a hundred million. On that happy note, that'll do it this week for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com, where you can find all my written reviews, as well as whysoblue.com, where you can find 
Blu-ray reviews and other written reviews from me and the other guys at that site. You can also find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Abe? You can find more of my work at walrusmoose.blogspot.com. Two animals, walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Uh, Matt? Uh, you can find some funny things I write at unemployedmatt.blogspot.com. Um, and if you're into sports, satire, uh, Boshi's oversized pillow, .blogspot.com. And my Twitter handle is uh, Robot uh, Zombie Army. For having such a great robot, such a great wow. Twitter handle, you don't, you don't use it nearly enough. Just say I'm not big. I know. I feel like I should give it as a gift. Just, do you want that for Christmas <laughs> or Hanukkah? Yeah, you just you just make the best of it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Scott? Uh, Scott Mendelson. You can find my stuff at my own blog, com. If you want to see me in a place where people actually read, uh, try Huffington Post. Uh, I also do print reviews in Valley Scene Magazine, and I occasionally dabble in Open Salon. Great. Well, um, you can find all of the other episodes of Out Now on iTunes at hhwlod.com, which is happy to host our show, and they also host a number of other nice, fun podcasts about comics and games and movies and other fun things. Uh, you can also find our show at outnow.podomatic.com, all the up, most, uh, most of the new episodes and a few exclusives. Finally, you can email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We... I tend to update it quite a bit, and, you know, it's fun to, fun to have interaction on the Facebook page, too. So that's all of that. That's going to do it this week. Thank you so much, Matt and Scott, for coming on this week's episode. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. And until um, next week when we find out how much money Immortals really made, that's going to do it this week for this show. So goodbye. Bye, guys. Take care. Say something, Matt. Oh, bye. <laughs> <laughs>